Nick Stumphauser, part five. That's good. And this time I didn't need to like make a Frankenstein of your voice to do it. <laughs> I have no idea how you did that. <laughs> I've also made a few uh, strange phone calls uh, using your voice to other people. <laughs> That's a little disconcerting there, David. <laughs> <laughs> I blame the electric universe. <laughs> oh no here we go <laughs> so uh no i just wanted to uh i just wanted to sort of uh try to undermine your faith in this silly worldview but uh maybe just sure. talk a little bit about who you are what you believe and why you believe it no <laughs> <laughs> no but what is it with this electric universe you wanted to just sort of uh talk about the metaphysics of your belief please sure um so the electric universe is an uh, an alternate cosmology. It's a it's a cosmology based on electrical mechanics and plasma physics that um, argues that electricity rules the universe. Uh, that gravity is a very uh, weak force that is beholden to electricity, um, and that uh, one of the things that happens when you allow for this is that planets can get very close to each other and that when they do get close to each other they discharge electricity between each other and uh, this plasma discharge phenomena takes certain shapes and in doing forensic analysis of uh, cultures around the world we have found um, petroglyphs and, and carvings and drawings of these various thunderbolts, um, which substantiate the idea that uh, these events were happening in the sky uh, in human memory. And uh, this is the birth of of the myths of the religions of the of the Greek and the Roman um, and even the the monotheistic lore that is uh, what we that what we read in the books today. Um, and at first it was just to me, a, a fascinating cosmology and it's, it still is, but I've now find it very difficult to take religion seriously, or at least in the same, give it the same weight as I used to before I knew about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in all of that, you've talked about natural science, but you didn't talk about metaphysics, like first things. So what do you have to say? Uh, what have you learned from the electric universe model? Yeah, pretty much nothing. So, you know, it, it is strictly a cosmology. It does not propose a beginning to the universe. It, it does deny the Big Bang happened. Um, it, you know, it does not, it denies uh, redshift as a plausible um, evidence for uh, some Big Bang. It thinks that black holes are nonsense, uh, that time cannot be stretched and squeezed, um, you know, like clay that just all, all this stuff is nonsense but you know it doesn't it doesn't talk about you know heaven or hell or first things uh, one of the questions that i asked the guy who wrote the book on this is you know why is the universe not homogenous if the electric universe posits that um you know these forces are all working to rectify one stress over here and another stress over there, then how come the entire universe isn't homogenous you know what was the first stressor and, and so the you know there are still plenty of things that are not answered by this. And, and I think I've told you over messages before that um, my intuition is that there is a deity and that there is an intelligence and a consciousness to this universe that is supernatural as an above natural. And so I don't think that the electric universe, uh, you know, is, is grounds for atheism or naturalism. Actually, I think it's quite the opposite. But what I take 
issue with now in light of what I understand is just this notion that um, that religions, whether it's the, the you know the Greek and the Roman religions of of the gods of Olympus, or even the the monotheistic religions and, and these stories there. Um, that they can't be seen in the in the same light of oh this is a historical event that was seen and passed down rather this is a misinterpretation or the inability to interpret catastrophic doomsday cosmological events that happened on earth in man's memory and then when they when they stopped when the planets entered the orbit that we see them now today our inability to see what the people who originally saw them is what gave rise to uh, our attempt at understanding them, which is, um, you know, the religions and, and, and the gods and the stories. You know, I bounced that idea off you on Facebook about the three worldviews being monism, monotheism, or nihilism. Did you want to just talk a little bit about what I was proposing, how you understood it, and where you think you might fall, and if it had any utility for you at all as a metaphysical diagnosis? I wasn't super impressed by that, just you know, because my response to you was, you know, where does atheism or agnosticism, you know, fall into this? And you know, I think I still consider myself a pretty strong agnostic, and in, in that. Um, I think that there's so much that is possible that I'm sort of in a state of superposition. Um, I think that I've grown to appreciate just how dogmatic and unreasonable hard atheism is, which I guess is, you know, massive progress from where I was when you and I first started talking. But uh, I think that the idea of, you know, panpsychism or pantheism as opposed to hard monotheism is more intuitive and appealing to me in terms of what I've experienced personally and then the sort of the research that I've done. The idea of, you know, the universe itself being conscious, being the consciousness that we are all sort of segments of a, of a large fabric that is conscious and has information and that this information manifests itself throughout the universe in, in various forms. I think that it explains, you know, how evolution works because uh, this idea of neo-darwinism i think is as nonsensical as creationism and i've really given both a fair shake but if god is all there is then basically heaven awaits all of us because we are suffering from a separation illusion and we're going to go back to the source and we're just going to enjoy being that one god and the definition of heaven is just being with God, enjoying God's presence. And if all separation is illusion, which I think every pantheist, every monist, every panpsychist um, should come to that conclusion that separation is illusion and that the, the ultimate reality is God and therefore heaven. So it's, it's a good outcome. There's literally nothing to worry about. We just have to enjoy the illusion, the show, right? Are you comfortable with that? I think if panpsychism is true or, you know, any permutation of that, then yeah, um, you know, there is only the illusion of separation that makes perfect sense to me. And then, you know, life is just uh, the symphony of illusions until ostensibly death, you know, rips the veil apart and we once again become one with existence itself, you know, without separation. And I think 
from you know what I understand about psychedelics and what little I've experienced with them, that maybe they give you a peek behind the veil pre-death. You know, you get to die without dying, and then you once again return to the illusion. And I think that's where um, Aldous Huxley would agree that the um, you know with the doors of perception that the brain is a reducing valve, that it is what stops down this flood of experience from being itself and that psychedelics remove that valve and it's just a uh, total immersion in being. So yeah, that, that would make yeah, sense to me. But the, the point I'm trying to emphasize here is that it's good news. You can jump up and down and celebrate and laugh and dance and sing, but I don't see you doing that. So I don't think you buy it. Um, well, I personally find existence to be absolutely terrifying. Um, <laughs> uh, I just read something recently, um, Terrence McKenna, he was a, a psychonaut. He took every psychedelic under the sun for, you know, decades and decades. And in the last few years of his life, the mushrooms turned on him and, um, he, he saw what you and I saw that one time, uh, you know, with, with the void and he just kind of was left babbling saying, you know, it's all meaningless. There is nothing. There is there is nothing and no meaning. And I, that scares the shit out of me. I know exactly what he means of staring into that void. And I imagine that that is what hell is, that, that true hell is uh, conscious non-existence, that you are you are aware of your own annihilation and it's just endless annihilation, endless separation. If God is being, right? If he is the being whose essence is existence, then uh, hell is annihilation and being aware of that annihilation, if that's even possible. And so that, I mean, that's... (laughs) That, that that definitely makes me even more wary of of psychedelics but also um you know maybe maybe that kind of gives you an insight that that these drugs can either show you heaven they can show you god and being itself or they can show you hell which is non-being yeah and so on the other end of the spectrum from the joys of pantheism where there's just God in heaven, you've got nihilism where you are falling into that non-being, that non-existence. You're aware of your own annihilation. And uh, in between those two, in my little diagnostic tool, I put monotheism where we have both God and not God. And it really is the best of both worlds. And uh, I like to joke that there are true pantheists, true monists, but it's only the monotheist that gets to experience true monism or true pantheism because the monotheist is destined to be united with God and to participate more and more and ever more in the life of God, the mysterious triune life of God. So I am destined, if I play my cards right, to be experiencing more and more this sort of monism which is being sold here on earth by Satan and his demons to gullible fools who say, yeah, it sounds good. I mean, there's only God, there's only heaven and everything's alive and being is just is and separation is illusion. And so it sounds good. So they buy into it and then they're left sadly with nihilism at the end when they die and or if they take enough drugs, they'll end up realizing that they are not united with God. They are not actually God because they didn't make a choice to return God's love. 
and so they're falling into nothingness. This is my model of the three worldviews. If you choose monism, then you get nihilism. And uh, if you choose nihilism, ironically, I think you fall straight into monotheism because there's so it's so terrifying being a nihilist that I think you will run straight into the arms of the god of monotheism. Only God exists. We are nothing. We are creatures. We are nothing. We're radically contingent. But if we make a choice to accept the free offer of salvation that was offered to us by Jesus Christ on the cross, we can go to heaven, we can be with God, and we'll be united with him. And so in a sense, monism is true once we get to heaven. But here on earth, it's an illusion. It's a lie. Does that help you understand my model? I think a little bit. The The idea that there is both God and not God is obviously very different than pantheism, which is to say that there is only God and, and separation is illusion. And I think the idea that there is God and not God is that sort of that, that dichotomy, that binary way of being, of nature, of reality. You know, it's very old. It's very classical. It makes sense. It's intuitive that there, you know, that there are the yin and the yang, the, the two sides of the same coin. Um that would not surprise me if that were the case. I just think right now that's kind of where I'm at, that there is sort of this um, this pantheism makes sense. Uh, because and the, and the reason why is because, that, you know, if there is a God, that means that we are not God. Uh, that means we are separate from God, that we are not consubstantial. Um, and so as a result, we have to, right, you know, we are made in the image, we are not made of the substance. And so that separation to me isn't intuitive because just like I said, you know, because of what I've experienced and sort of what I've, uh, what I'm looking into. So I think in order for me to make that um, move from pantheism to monotheism, it would just be a very simple thing of me sort of being able to intuit or understand the fact that I am not consubstantial with God. That is actually what motivated my solipsism is the fact that it is absurd to posit not God and to believe in not God. Even to this day, it boggles my mind much more than the existence of an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God. What boggles my mind is, you know, a grasshopper or a cute little kitten or uh, my wife, you know, like these creatures are like mind-boggling. Mm, like how can, interesting. <laughs> how can you not be, how can anything not be God? It's just, it is mind-boggling. So I do mm -hmm. understand your perspective and why you don't think it's intuitive at all to be a monotheist. And I just have to reassure you that you're absolutely right. It is not intuitive. It is the most wonderful and bizarre and counterintuitive and absurd belief. But it's what I've come to believe. And I, it's what I hope you will come to believe because I don't think you can be happy where you are. I don't think you are happy where you are. Uh, we both know that nihilism is not uh, going to bring you any happiness. And if you have any happiness now in panpsychism, I don't think it's a true happiness or a true joy. I think it's a false joy. And I think that hunger remains, that void, that God-shaped hole in your heart remains and it's aching and it's crying out. Maybe not 24-7, but uh, certainly in those dark and quiet times, I think you'll notice that it's still there. Whereas since my conversion to monotheism, I don't have that anymore. So I'm a living, breathing example to you that monotheism is better. Now you can take that or you can leave it. But uh, I'm telling you, I'm much, much happier. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think I'm not struggling like I was um, pre-episode 12 of my podcast. Um, you know, when I kind of let that burden down, I'm not 
at peace and that I don't have like this, um, you know, sense of consolation or I figured it out or I know how to orient myself in the universe or anything like that. But I have a much um, a calmer approach to this than this sort of neurotic, anxious, obsessive, compulsive approach that I've been having. Um, and I think just becoming okay with not knowing was really, was, you know, really big for me. Um, and I don't have the same sense of urgency to like find God. And, and I'm not sure why, because the stakes are still the same. You know, not, nothing has really changed. I think it's sort of just a mindset shift. But in terms of whether or not I can actually be, you know, happy and fulfilled as a pantheist, I'm not sure. I doubt it. It doesn't, you know, it's not it's not super enticing. But then again, I'm also a very prideful person. And I, I think it would be hard for me to be subservient to God because I think so highly of myself and I, and I really haven't experienced the glory and the wonder of God. Um, you know, when people describe, you know, the ancient philosophers describe, uh, and Anselm described, uh, God as, you know, that which no greater can be imagined. Uh, maybe it's all this study and, and my, you know, I'm not reading the right sources, but so far God doesn't seem that extraordinary to me. You know, I feel like I've put him in a box with all this studying. I feel like I've, like I've, I've been able to stuff God in a jar and set him on the shelf as a specimen and say, okay, you know, maybe there's something in this jar, maybe there's not, but it all fits in this jar. And so, to me, I feel much greater than anything that could fit in this jar of my comprehension. You know, okay, so it, it creates the universe, but you know, big deal. I can't create a universe, but it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't it doesn't knock my socks off. And so I think, um, in order for me to be a happy monotheist, God would have to really blow my mind. Um, I, I hope that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, pride is the major impediment to faith, and. Uh, I seriously doubt that you have more pride than I do. I've never been impressed with anyone. I've never looked up to anyone ever until I discovered God and his saints. And now I can honestly say that I look up to another human being and it's the saints. It's God's saints. And I certainly look up to God because I was confronted with the reality of how good he is. Not only how good he is, but how humble he is. This is a key thing that you might want to focus on. It's not that God's going to impress you with his greatness. He's going to impress you with his littleness, with how low he can stoop, with how he can serve you, because you don't want to serve God. Well, that's fine. God will serve you, and then you'll have a tear in your eye, a tear of appreciation and bewilderment. How, God, are you serving me? This, until you reach that point, yeah, you keep him on that little jar on your shelf. That's fine. That's where he belongs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, if there is this Catholic God or, or you know, the God of Abraham and, and Isaac, uh, I've got a lot to learn about him. I guess I just, I, I really haven't encountered him. Um, and something that I've realized recently, too, that I, I kind of talked about a bit in, in episode 12 is that I never really had a relationship with God. You know, what I had as a child um, and as a young teenager was very dogmatic and ignorant. And it was really just an attempt for me to impress my mom. It was to impress my peers, to impress uh, the priest at my school. It was, look, look how good I can be. Look how good of a Catholic boy I can be. And I, I know all the theology and whatnot, but I didn't have a relationship. I feel like right now I have more of a relationship with a God that I don't believe in than I did with the God that I did <laughs> believe in. Is that my God or is that the supernatural uh, deity? Uh, my intuition says it's your God. Oh, 
speaking of my God and a personal relationship, I mean, this interview is about you, but uh, our dear friend Matthew Murdoch had an earth-shattering experience. Did he talk to you about it? And do you want to talk about what he might have experienced from your perspective? I am going to be interviewing him for my podcast within the next couple of days. Actually, it struck me that after this interview, I might call him up and see if he's available. I'm fascinated by what he uh, has allegedly experienced. I'm also very skeptical. Um, I feel... I'm not going to cut him any slack. Obviously, I'm happy for him, but uh, you know he knows I'm an honest person, and that I'm going to probe him and and really see, you know, did he get a true experience or is he sort of on the Jesus high? You know, going through high school, uh, Catholic high school, there's we we go on a retreat every year, and you know I would always find these kids who, you know, the the cool kids in class who didn't give a damn about God and Jesus for 364 days of the year. And then the one day that we're on this retreat, you know, they go to confession and they they got the praise and worship sessions and they're just, they're crying and cheering and screaming and they, you know, they're elated. And then uh, that high fades over the next couple of days. And so, um, I, you know, I hope he finds the Shire and uh, I hope he has. And he said he has. He's told me that he has. Um, and he's extremely excited to share his experience with me. So with my tongue slightly in cheek, I will be interviewing him soon. <laughs> <laughs> he got back Sunday. I spoke to him on Tuesday night and he said it's already fading. But I coached him to just try to massage his heart, to keep it vulnerable, keep it wounded, keep it bleeding, keep it open and raw and tender. That was my coaching to him. And uh, that's easily said, and it's not easily done. Life does beat us up, and that's why we protect ourselves. That's why we harden our hearts. That's why we allow those scabs to grow over those wounds, because it hurts when you pull off the scab and the blood comes gushing out, right? But on the other hand, we want to pick at that scab. We want to know You know, are we alive? Are we a human? Like Pinocchio, I want to be a little boy. Well, it hurts to be a little boy. So, I mean, I want to ask you generally about this prodigal podcast and the project generally. You started with a vision where it was going to be lights, cameras, action, the whole thing, interviews with celebrities. And then you've sort of come to a realization that, listen, this has to be a very serious project with an intellectual discussion, exploration, and it's more suited to the podcast. And then the tension between uh, one extreme and the other, like uh, young earth creationism on one hand, and then evolutionist like Aaron Ra on the other hand, uh, you sort of stretched your elastic to the breaking point, And now you've got this slack sort of complacency where it's like, well, you know what? Um, I don't really care. I've lost <laughs> my drive and my passion for the question. Uh, th- am I sketching your journey pretty accurately so far? Um, close. I, I think I'm not as uh, apathetic as I might appear. I think I, I still am interested. I think I'm just not as uh, frantic uh, in in the way that I'm pursuing this. Um, and you know, somebody recently asked me, you know, Nick, what is your vice? You know, everyone's got a vice. What's your vice? And uh, I said, well, you know, I don't really, I don't drink coffee. Um, you know, I, I'm not addicted to coffee. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke pot. I don't watch porn. I don't overeat. I don't really binge watch TV. Like, I, I, God, what do I do? <laughs> and uh, and I realized, oh, I compulsively research. That's my vice is I will, 
get grabbed by a topic or something. Usually it's either nutrition or theology and I'll just dive into the rabbit hole and my interest on on something or another will kind of oscillate back and forth and it you can only go full bore for so long. Um, and in terms of the prodigal, you you really start to realize how little you know the more you investigate. And uh, in terms of evolution um, specifically, just you know something like that, I, I can honestly say that I don't know enough, nor could I ever know enough to come up with a definitive answer. I think that from what I understand, neo-Darwinism is about as silly as young earth creationism and the electric universe, Rupert Sheldrake's work on morphogenic fields, um, the, the understanding of information, uh, outside of the, the genome that the DNA is not what codes for things that it's merely the, the factory floor, like these types of ideas kind of, um, make, this back and forth debate pretty obsolete. And so now I'm kind of enjoying the stroll through the marketplace of ideas, picking up some fruit and tasting it. Oh, this, you know, this is an interesting idea. Wow. I've never seen this one over here before. Um, all the while just acknowledging that I'm probably wrong on everything. I'm probably a hundred percent wrong. Um, and, and, uh, all I can really do is just enjoy, enjoy the marketplace and, um, and hope that my intuition and my experience as I continue to live and move through life, uh, guides me to the right place. Um, and the neuroticism and the, in the, the frantic attempt at avoiding hell by, thinking my way to God, uh, was just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about the recruitment mentality in every club, whether it's an atheist club, whether it's a scientific club, whether it's the mm. chess club, every club wants more members. Usually, how do you see it now with all this, uh, eager recruitment from a spiritual perspective, from a psychological perspective? Well, yeah, I mean, if you believe something, there's two reasons why you want other people to believe it. The first is because you want to show them how smart you are and impressive that you are, that you have obtained the truth. And so, you know, when you share it with them and you say, come look over here, look what I have found, look what I have, you know, there is a, a big ego bump to that. And then there's also the uh, the validation of if these people whose opinions I care about believe the same thing that I believe, though, then I must be right. And that there's a very comforting and secure feeling um, when people join your ranks. Now I'm in a place where, I mean, I don't really have a camp. I mean, the 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 agnostic camp that I am in, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen the Big Lebowski, but we're just a bunch of, you know, guys like, hey, man, you know, don't, don't pee on my rug. We're just, we're just like, you know, this is some interesting stuff. We, we'll just talk about while sipping white Russians. So I don't have a club now. And I think that's healthy for me um, because I'm, I'm so prone to joining cults. God damn. I'm, so, I just, I join cults so quick and, and then I go yellow from the rooftops that this is the right cult and everyone should be in it. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's probably my biggest character flaw is, uh, is this serial monogamy with various intellectual cults. 
so yeah, I think it's very healthy for me to be in a place now where there is no, nobody has a t-shirt or an armband or anything like that. And, uh, and we're just, we're just calmly perusing. <laughs> uh, random question. Do you get eligible young ladies coming forward because of your podcast saying, Hey, you're cute. Let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have very few listeners in general. I think my most listened to podcast was the one that I did with Michael Jones and it's got like seven or 800 listens on it, uh, because he shared it. But primarily I have very, very few people listening and the handful of people who do listen to my podcast, uh, the women that I know, I think are all in a relationship. Um, and any women who are secret admirers of mine, uh, are very secret. I was talking about recruiting, right? Well, uh, time to get recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just got all the cult leaders in history have, have done a really good job with the women. So I just got to start a cult and then I'll be all set. Get yourself a white robe. I think it helps. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so um, can you remind me uh, what we were just talking about before all the girl stuff? The psychology of people. Um, recruiting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to mention to you. You have a very pessimistic and uh, cynical view of humanity, obviously, because it never occurred to you that someone would want to share the truth and that they would want their brothers and sisters to enjoy the truth, right? Like, I think of Plato's cave, the analogy of the cave. If I'm chained to that cave wall and I'm looking at the shadows with you, and for whatever reason, I'm tapped on the shoulder and I'm allowed to go out into the sunshine and play, you're damn too, and I'm going to come back in and I'm going to say, hey, Nick what you think is the fullness of a fun and fulfilling life, come with me. Let's go up this narrow, craggy path and follow the light outdoors where the air is fresh and clean. I mean, this is a natural thing. We want the best for each other. You know, that is true. That does happen sometimes. I mean, I personally will share, if I if I really care about somebody, I'll let them know, hey, you know, here here's a way of existing that I think might serve you better. You know, if, uh, if somebody is, has a, a nutritional habit and they're really suffering as a result of it, and I just know that they have no idea, you know, the causes of their suffering, I might be like, oh, hey, did you know X, Y, and Z? This might make your life better. But something that I'm learning more and more is that uh, I don't owe anyone anything. And um, this this notion of me trying to save everybody and go preach from you know, the rooftops of all these wonderful things that I've learned, it really isn't, isn't the best way to go. In fact, that very few people are receptive. And so maybe I do have a pessimistic view, but I, I have rarely run across people who out of love, out of true love and, and uh, desire for my own happiness and well-being, have said, hey, I'd like to show you something. I'd like to, I'd like to tell you something. It's usually out of a place of self-aggrandizement, of ego, or of uh, the delighting in in showing that I am wrong about something. So maybe I just need better <laughs> better friends. <laughs> yeah, we all do. We all do. But um, you mentioned earlier about your two sort of go-to obsessions being nutrition or diet and theology or religion or whatever it is. It just occurred to me that if I could possibly get you hooked on a research project that combines both, Maybe this would be like the mother of all obsessions and uh, it might benefit you. And so this is the the scientific, scientifically confirmed 
miracles of the Eucharist. If you want to look into that, I'm not pressuring you, but if it ever occurs to you that you get the itch to look into it, because it does involve true food and true drink, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it does involve God and religions. So you can look into it. You can see atheist doctors that are giving full reports of these miracles, and they say that it's not natural. There's no possible natural explanation for these Eucharistic miracles. And there's a consistency across the approved miracles. I want you to research the approved ones, the, the ones that are approved, like the miracle at Lanciano and stuff like that. So uh, how does that strike you? Are you tempted and tantalized even in the slightest? I am um, squeamish and uh, fearful. What's what's the other word? Um, protecting my ego from looking at those. Uh, I've been introduced to those in the past. You know, the, the uh, that's one of you know my... Catholic compatriots' favorite things to bring up because if they know about them, uh, they know that that is a pretty, pretty damning thing to to send me the URL to one of these and say so. So checkmate atheist. What do you think of this? Um, and for a long time, I got around it by showing all of the the ones that were BS and being like, well, these are all lies. Therefore, I don't have to address the one that you sent over. But um, I think um, the way that I would describe it is like if there's a UFO, right, and then someone says, therefore, aliens, well, they've kind of missed the point. It's an unidentified flying object, you know, and um, in the case of this Eucharistic miracle, we don't have an explanation for A turning into B. Now, it's pretty convenient that in the confines of the of this story, this thing that everyone says is the the body and blood of, of a guy happens to turn into body and blood. Like, you know, I'm not going to be so pompous as to say, oh, that's just, it could, it could mean anything. No, it couldn't. <laughs> like, yes, it couldn't mean anything. It, uh, it clearly, if, if this crazy thing is happening in, in the context of this story, it's, it has to do with the story that everyone is talking about, which is, you know, the, the, the Catholic or the Christian story. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have an explanation for it. I do find them interesting. I guess, let me ask you this. If I just said, I have no skepticism, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that yes, indeed, these hosts did turn into human flesh, you know, how far does that really bring me? Well, just saying that doesn't do anything, but uh, you're a magician, right? You know about uh, sleight of hand? Mm-hmm. So when I, if I send you on a mission to like put your nose into a bunch of Catholic books talking about miracles, it's just to bathe you in Catholicism. I could care less what conclusion you come to. I just want you to be bathing in this. That's my approach with you. Well, I would definitely be interested, you know, more from the intellectual side. I'd be happy to seed the ground of, of your ulterior motives. That's fine by me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to read into some of these. And by, by love to, I mean, I will fearfully approach the topics that might absolutely undermine the ego that I've built to the world. But um, yeah, it's worth investigating. I, I wanted to address this point with the ego mania and the pride and all that. It is a very, 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 very common trick of Satan to make you think that you're going to lose something by submitting to God. And it's completely the opposite. You're going to have a more authentic sense of self and you're going to be more you than you've ever been. I, we've talked about this before. It's the same thing in a romantic relationship. You could be with a million girls, but until you meet the one, you're just being 
inauthentic. And when you are with the one, she'll bring out your true self. We've talked about this many times, but I want to hammer it home with you because when you meet the true God, you're going to be more yourself. It's not like you're going to be missing out on your ego. It's just going to dust off all the crap that's cluttering up your ego and your ego can be free to sing and to dance and to peacock around as much as you want. For sure. And and whether or not I believe in a Satan, I think that it would make sense. It would follow logically that any God worth his salt would not cause a diminishing of his creatures for them knowing him. It would cause a, a celebration and a fulfillment of, of everything that they are. So I do just have to kind of get over that fear. Uh, however, with regards to the females, I, I don't believe in the one. I don't believe that there is, you know, that there is one person. And so I think while I understand your analogy, I kind of reject this notion that there is a, that there is one female set aside with whom I am, you know, most fulfilled or, or whatever. So just substitute when I say one female, just say one harem. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. (laughs) So, uh, very nice talking to you as always. I'd like you to end the show and uh, I'll leave it up to you uh, what message you want to leave for the listeners today. Just a few words. Do not go gentle into that good night. If you like your worldview, if you think it's swell, if you've got some questions, ask me and I'll tell. All you've got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask.